Hello, and welcome to Mean Street News as we join Karen and Katie to discuss hard truths in Ohio politics today. We want to empower you with the knowledge you need to become informed citizens ready to engage Ohio politics in your community and beyond. It's time to mean what you say and say what you mean. Here on Mean Street News, we practice the transparency we seek. Hello and welcome to Mean Street News. We have an exciting guest here today. Uh, I hope I'm not going to butcher your name as everyone always butchers mine, but it's Kari Bartholomew. And did I say that right, Kari? It's Carrie. Carrie. Okay. See, Uh I told you I I always butcher. (laughs) Um, I'm that Karen, so you'll never forget that. Um, But she's a Utah mama. She describes herself as a reluctant activist. I can identify. Um, And she has been working on some uh, vlogging and interesting information on social emotional learning and kind of activating in her state of Utah and, um, you know, working on legislature that she feels will kind of affect uh, the school systems there and, and, and children in general for uh, SEL and what is to come. So welcome, Carrie. I appreciate you coming on. We are oh, solo today. We are solo today. So uh, Katie will catch up with you another time. But um, I wanted to talk about your we we have an initiative called Mo Equity. And I kind of wanted to explain that further because you were you were like, what what is Mo Equity? And I said, well, we kind of were inspired by you because, you know, you were cheering about uh, what were you doing a cheer about SEL. Um, And we said, Mo, they say Mo Equity, we say Mo Mamas. So we need Mo Mamas engaged, right? Right. And so um, the Mo Equity is it came out of the American Rescue Plan and it's maintenance of equity. It's actually called maintenance of effort, but they changed it to equity here in the state of Ohio. And it is a part of the American Rescue Plan um, of 2021. And Mo Equity is designed to ensure that schools and LEAs receive an equitable share for state and local funds and are not using ARP ESSER funds to reduce state and local financial support for children. So when we talk about Mo Equity, you and I have some strong opinions on that. <laughs> well, let's start. From, let's start with the beginning. Whenever you hear the word equity, you should be concerned. Equity always means equal outcomes, and I'm not like you guys, where you're like the queens of data. I really try to keep things as simple as I can for just your 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 normal person. Okay, so let's think about equity equal outcomes. We don't have equal outcomes in our own home. If you have more than one child, they're going to have different outcomes. So when they say that we want to focus on the on what it means for kids to have equal outcomes, it tends to mean things like we're going to remove accelerated learning. We're going to remove opportunities to let kids achieve at their level and to make sure that they're all kind of at this stagnant place. Which so, it's interesting you mentioned that because they just did away with honors classes in my local school district. Um, and I'm pretty concerned about that, to be quite honest. Uh, yeah, what does when, gifted and talented mean now? Right. And so when, um, and I do a lot of interviews with people who've escaped communism. I saw your last one, by the way, I <laughs> failed to mention you have a wonderful, uh, be not afraid, Um, and you just interviewed an author, uh, the author of Dragon Elegy, right? She escaped communism and I didn't, and and you and I had talked about this. I didn't really understand that connection, um, until probably under the Trump administration, truly. And seeing what that meant and what they were talking about for me was so, so interesting. And I'm that I started to listen to that interview. I'm not even through it and it's fantastic. I'm just hanging on every word. So that for you had to be like, wow. Well, it was, it was a huge wow moment because I lived in Washington state. And the first thing that I saw, um, my son is considered gifted. And all of a sudden he comes home one day and he says, mom, America is not exceptional. And I'm, and he's in a fifth grade at the time. And, and I'm like, what do you mean by that, buddy? And he said, well, we're fine, but we're no better than any other country. And so I showed him some videos of people from Cuba coming over in makeshift rafts. And I'm like, let's look at the water. Let's look at what they, cause you know, you have to, you have to talk to our children 
in a way that makes it accessible to them. Unfortunately, though, we are in a place where the first time I was meeting with a group of moms, I said, we have to turn our kids into activists because if we don't, they will. They will. Yes. That and, is the goal of school. The goal of school is to get them to stop thinking and to start complying. And that's what I have explained to mamas as well uh, with the critical race piece of that, that, you know, everything is through a, a lens of race and it's to, you know, it's not common for a theory or a scientific, you know, piece of information to have a movement behind it to have activists and scholars involved in that movement and that's really what we have here in this mm -hmm. you know critical race sel uh you know culturally appropriate teaching and responsive teaching movement and it's more than just um race they're trying to get our kids in every category right so they're also the the gender so everything is about liberation liberation so these these kids think think about that i don't know if you saw the um the proud family episode or saw any excerpts from it i saw you speaking out on this and i found it so so interesting it is the perfect example of where our kids are going to go with with this garbage and i'm sorry i'm just gonna be blunt here it is I, i'm with you it is garbage i've said it once i've said it a million <laughs> times garbage in garbage out and i feel like um, they're bombarded with it every day. And, and the fact that your fifth grader came home and said, we are not a country that is, you know, built on the exception because right. I feel like we are, we are right. a country we absolutely are. because, you know, I, in that interview you, you did, uh, with it, that author that survived communism said, you know, there, there's no choice. The state right. is your mother and father. And that is exactly where we are heading. The state has assumed parental role, that parental role. And, you know, we've even talked about in loco parentis here in Ohio, because these administrators are claiming this over our children. And yes. we're trying to get the word out and say, uh, absolutely not. No judge gave you custody of our children. And that's the thing is that when at the beginning of the year, when you sign all the papers and you, you know, most parents, we just walk in and we're like, okay, sure, whatever. We've done this before for years. You need to be really careful about what these things are saying now. Because one thing that's really important to understand is that our, we use the same, um, what do they say? We use the same dictionary or I'm sorry, we use the same language, but we don't use the same dictionary. Correct. So when we say things like, um, reimagine, reframe, oh, reimagine, or even, even college readiness, we want our kids to be ready for college. Well, when we think of that, we think, okay, we want them to have grit. We want them to be organized. We want them to know how to study. That's what we're thinking. What they're thinking is we want to make sure that they use the language that we deem appropriate. We want to make sure that they are respectful of pronouns. And culturally responsive, right? And yes. culturally responsive and that that white children, you know, hold back and uncenter themselves so that the minority can be centered. And I, this I find is it an extreme resentment. Go ahead. Yeah, I it's, find it interesting. Now, in my district, we have, a, you know, very, very few uh, students of color in my district. So when there are students of color in our district, you know, I remind my children how uncomfortable it may be, right, to be in a room full of somebody that doesn't look like you. But that doesn't mean that we need to treat them differently. They are people too. But I feel like the school has made them very aware they are different and you should treat them as such. Well, maybe we should clarify because a lot of people can't tell by my voice that I'm actually black. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Your ethnicity. Yes. That, and that's... I think it helps in this type of movement because I've seen many people say, you know, me saying this as a white woman, I'm prejudiced. I'm biased. I'm this, I'm that. Right. You saying it as a black woman is far more impactful and, and, and is different. Which is extremely exhausting. I mean, Quite frankly, I, I said I'm black just then, but I'm actually biracial. And when I talk about, when I think of biracial, I think you take an apple and you cut it in half and there's two sides. I'm not more of one than the other. 
But in this context, people think of me as a person of color and -hmm. many people think of me as a black woman. Mm -hmm. Black and brown, right. For me, I could care less. Agreed. And that's that's just the reality. And, And quite frankly, most children don't feel uncomfortable when they meet somebody, as long as that person is all of the other things that make up a person, right? Yes. So if a kid is funny, if a kid is, I mean, bluntly, if if a child's attractive, you can call it attractive privilege if you want to. But these different things will draw people to them just like anyone else. That's the reality is that mm-hmm. kids see the human. Mm-hmm. And that's until yeah, they're taught not talked- to. Yeah, we've talked about inside outside and where does our identity l- lie? You know, in right. in how we treat people in, you know, first and foremost God, but in how we conduct ourselves and how we are an example for others. And if you treat somebody kind, then other people see that and recognize that and you know what I mean? It's it's right. no different than, you know, purple black, white, yellow, you know what I mean? Whatever. Yeah. Um, it, it doesn't change the person. It doesn't change their ability. No. And the idea that we are, we have to stop using terms like colorblind um, because we're not. I know when I walk into a store, if I see somebody out here in Utah, in rural Utah, that looks like me, I'm like, hey, <laughs> because there's so few of us, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but we also know like I know how many blonde, I somewhat an idea of how many blonde people or how many brunette people. Who cares? It's just it's something that crosses your mind, you know, when you're when you're walking around in the store. Um, I might like somebody's shoes, and to me, the color of skin is no different than somebody's shoes or someone's eye color. I don't care. I care if you're a decent and a kind person. Yes. My kids get embarrassed all the time because I'm like, oh, you look fantastic today. They're like, did you know that person? No, I just thought they looked fantastic today. That was a great, you know, outfit or shoe or whatever. Yeah. And that's really important. I know that's kind of a segue off of what what we're talking about, but it is really important to, in order to keep social connections with people, people are going through, like the mental health crisis is a real crisis. It's manufactured. Yes, but it's a real crisis. And there's so many people who are really, really suffering. And if we can go that extra mile to, you know, add a little sparkle. Yeah, agree. You know, I think that, that, yeah, point of contact, we're all still just people making our way, right? Yeah. Um, And it does disarm people because we are being set up for division. Yes. Our country, equity, the, the whole equity conversation to bring it back around is about division. Yes. It means that if you fit in the right category, I've realized recently, and I'm calling it out now, it's masochism. Mm-hmm. You have people who absolutely hate others and they feel justified in making their lives utterly miserable. That's an interesting, um, that's an interesting point. So I want to, I want to ask about, um, how you were kind of, um, thrown out of your, you know, your profession here, sure. um, or attempted, attempted to be thrown out. Right. Right. Okay. Sure. So in Utah, I found this very interesting thing. I don't know. There was a viral video last year of a substitute teacher who lost her ever love and mind. And it went all over like Fox news and, um, she stood in class and said that students are smarter than their parents and uh, Trump is a racist and all, you know, all of these things that are inappropriate for the classroom. And then I realized that the only requirement to be a substitute teacher in Utah is high school. That's mm-hmm. it. You wow. do not have to have any teaching degree behind you to be a substitute teacher in Utah. So I was like, all right, I'm going in. So I love it. And one of the reasons I wanted to go in is because my son is getting older and I wanted to see what was going on in the schools. Really, I wanted to like assuage my own fears and go, because people have told me often, we're in Utah. We are in conservative mm-hmm. Utah. Everything I've heard fun. that here in rural Ohio. 
Yeah. I mean, you were manufacturing things that are not happening. And I love that you did that because I did the same. I ran for school board. I applied for the school nurse position. I was like, you know, I really need to just bite the bullet and get my substitute teaching license, which they did in Ohio reduce that amid the pandemic. Um, so I love that you did that. Well, and so, so I did. And and before I even went in, I went to the training and quite frankly, it was kind of a joke. I mean, you have to watch like 30 tutorials and hit the right button and bam, you're in. And I went up to the person and I said, so just so you know, I'm coming in for a couple of reasons. One, I know that there is a lot of division and there's lots of narratives about African-Americans. And I want these kids to see a face that looks like mine and has no resentment, that just purely loves them and wants to bring joy into the classroom. And he was like, thank you so much. He's like, you are right. And I said, I'm not, and I, and I was really clear. I, I said, you know, I'm not going to go in and indoctrinate them. I'm going to follow your lessons. But if I go into a history class and there's nothing prepared, I might open up my laptop and introduce them to Thomas Sowell, you know? Fantastic. Yeah. So, um, so that's where, where it went. And I was only doing it for about two months. And every single class, and I'm not doing this to toot my own horn. This is just the person that I am. Every single class that I went into from first grade on up, the kids would be like, please come back. Like, I mean, they literally, I was walking to lunch one day in high school of all places. And I still am like, you know, when you walk into a high school class. Yeah, I know. That's why it's prevented me because I'm a little scared. I have middle schoolers and so they scare me. Yes, you know? exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so I'm walking out and I'm just like, oh, maybe they're gone. And so I start to walk down the hallway and all of a sudden I hear this kid say to another kid, hey, there's a really awesome sub we had today. You should try to get her. So I mean, it was amazing. Right. And I, and I loved it. And I would, it was frustrating to go into the classrooms because we have 11th graders. They are on a laptop all day. And mm-hmm. when it comes to reading, they are listening to an audiobook and then they have to answer five questions at the end of a chapter. And I'm thinking, this isn't acceptable. This is not acceptable that 11th graders aren't actually reading the books. So they were reading, um, in the teacher's credit, they were reading Huck Finn. And so I found the books. I was like, are the books in the classroom somewhere? And somebody said, yes. And I brought in candy and I was just like, okay, if you're willing to read, I will give you candy. And one child was like, walked into class. And the first thing she said, she put their phone in front of my face. And on the back of her phone, there's a card that says she gets to leave the class at any reason that she needs to, because she has anxiety. Okay. And in my head, I'm like, seriously, but that's the rule. So Mm -hmm. that's fine. Mm-hmm. So I asked her if she wants to read and she's like, I don't know if I can. And she's shaking. And I said, I, I think you'll be fine. And so I'm just standing next to her and I'm just building her up a little bit. And all of a sudden she stops shaking and she's reading. And to the point that when I'd ask other people to read the next time her hand would go up again, she wanted that. And you watched her mental health improve just because she was getting positive reinforcement. Right. Because you gave her the confidence to do that in a room full of her peers. And sometimes yeah. it takes making us ourselves feel uncomfortable and pushing ourselves a little bit outside of the box to make progress. Right. Well, and it's not coddling them. Right. So e- even though you're like, you know, and I try very hard to make contact with every single kid in the classroom, you give them a compliment. You say, Hey, that looks great. You you really should be in theater with the way that you read anything that you can do to build these kids up. So then we go into first grade and I'm, this is all part of the whole thing. So we go into first grade and um, I am so disturbed that I, I feel like I'm internally shaking because when I walk into the first grade classroom, the kids grab their laptops, they open it up and it scans them. A camera scans them in order to open up their computer. Wow. And it does it like every, probably every minute. That's, that is disturbing. It's extremely disturbing. And then the kids are reading. And when they're reading, this little girl is reading a book. And the, the sentence was, the owl was in the tree. And she says, the horse ran fast. 
And all of a sudden the program throws confetti, you know, virtual confetti and says, good job, and moves her on to the next page. She's not even reading correctly. Oh, wow. And so I'm, I'm watching these things, you know, these are, these are things that I'm, I'm collecting information. I'm not collecting them for any other reason than to help my parents know what's going on in our schools. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not putting this on full blast, but then I go into one more classroom. And in this classroom, I am subbing for a teacher who is training other teachers and I'm sitting at my desk or her desk um, between a class and I see these books. And the first book says culturally responsive teaching. Mm-hmm. Well, I know what that is, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so I snap a picture. I have never said the name of the school. I've never taken a picture of a student in the school. No one was in the classroom, but I snap a picture of this and I edit it down to just the picture. And then um, another book on her desk said teaching when the world is on fire. Mm. This is my break. So I'm going to look at it. So I look at the back of the book and it says how to talk about politics in the classroom when you're not supposed to. (sighs) And it specifically says things like, um, teach your kids that the second amendment is wrong. Um, you know, that gun violence and, and how can you interweave these into the classroom? And you're looking at who is endorsing these books and it's Howard Zinn. Howard mm. Zinn back to the whole America is not exceptional. Mm-hmm. So I take pictures of these books and I share these books online because that's what we do. Right. <laughs> Yeah. And so, and I said, sub today, don't ask me where I'm not going to say. And that's all I did. And a week later, I was helping some people run for their elections and nothing, you know, I've signed up for my next round of subbing because you get to choose when you want to sub. So I signed up for my next round. And the day after the elections, I get an email that says, you are no longer welcome to work in our schools. And it says, we recognize that maybe you didn't understand the rules, but you violated several of our rules. And so I responded and I said, I know why you're doing this. And I, and I was just like, and I, I don't really take issue except for the fact that you said that I was unprofessional, which is absolutely wrong. I said, there are so many subs that sit back and play on their phones during class. Um, I don't do that. Mm-hmm. I make sure, and I just made a list. I was like, I'm a damn good sub. <laughs> and I'm like, and I, I put a lot of effort into it. I love these kids. I was a paraeducator the year before for a school. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, I no, I'm not willing to have that on my reputation. Um, and I said, and as far as taking pictures, if you go on Instagram, you will see people taking pictures, you know, of their classroom with their, you know, pride flags behind them or, 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 or just classrooms, like a recess with the kids playing behind them. Right. So Mm -hmm. things that they should not be doing, Mm -hmm. but I know the rules and I followed the rules. Right. They just found me a threat and that's what they said. So she came back and she said, you know, I don't completely disagree with you. I tried to get it to just be a warning, um, but they're not having it. You are a conflict of interest in our schools. Which brings me to teachers aren't speaking out because of the retribution. Yes. That they and, will receive. Yes. Now that's an interesting place to go because um, I thought that was a lot of the case. Unfortunately, progressivism is not a right or left issue progressive is it's not a Republican or a Democrat issue. Mm -hmm. So um, we have a lot of progressive teachers. We have a lot of people who've bought into this idea that they can save our children. Um, And the way to save them is, you know, to follow the kind of things that Barack Obama put into place. So it doesn't matter that I live in a primarily Caucasian rural area. Mm-hmm. the teachers are progressive. Yes. And and as a, as I was running for board, you know, teachers straight out of school cost less, right? Yes. They move up the scale. And so starting them at the bottom is more cost effective for these school districts and, and yes. then moving them through their tenure. 
And, you know, I've talked to teachers and they've said, you know, I'm sorry, I'm almost at my, you know, end here and I'm not going to rock the boat because of, you know, retirement, mm -hmm, my retirement, my pension, you know, And, and I feel like that's the major problem right now. Because everybody's like, well, just do a co-op, but you can't provide for these teachers, you know, the pension, the insurance benefits, you know what I mean? Those things, which they are receiving in those public institutions. How do we compete with that? I don't know what the answer is. Um, I I would agree. And also we need them to stay in their places as long as possible, because otherwise we're going to get a woke progressive teacher to replace them. So now I will say, I will say that I have uh, a couple of friends who are studying to be teachers right now and they send me, they send me their trainings, they send me their information. So we know that there are some young people who are taking issue. Well, and I said, and those teachers are kind of doing what they can to shelter the kids from that, to protect the kids from that. Um, that only goes so far, I feel right. like. Um, right. It, it seeps into every, you know, everybody's like opt out, opt out of, you know, the SEL, opt out of the PBIS, you know, opt out. You can't but, when it's mm-hmm. interwoven in everything. Correct. And it's it's hysterical because even in Ohio, we have clips of the Ohio Department of Education, those members who are on the floor in those meetings, fighting, clawing, scratching, trying to get these people on the records. These standards are recommendations. What I hear right. you saying is how you get there is up to the local level. And, you know, they're getting them on the record, which I sincerely appreciate and believe that those individuals are brilliant individuals fighting for our children, genuinely fighting for our children. I just, you know, and then you hear the other side of that. Well, just pull your kids, just, just pull your kids. You know, homeschooling is the way to go. Charter schools are the way to go. You know, and I've already discussed what what do you do when a union, uh, when a union, a charter school unionizes? It's happened in our area, in Cleveland, Ohio, it's happening. I love that you're bringing that up because the interview that I will be editing today and posting is from a charter school that has managed to keep their anonymity. Mm -hmm. So they, um, I'm sorry, not anonymity. I don't want to correct that. Autonomy. (laughs) Yes. Okay. okay, so they've, they've been able, and the way that they did that is they said no to a board. They don't have a board, and then oh, no one can be elected to change the charter's mission. Okay, and you know, what? I've done extensive study, and I'm telling you, I think the Barney Charter Initiative sounds amazing, yeah. but again, how do you keep the nefariousness out when you start... You, you don't know. have elected officials. You don't have people who can go around and, and whisper. And because, I mean, you have to understand in rules for radicals, right, that there's nothing off limits in terms of getting what you want. So people will absolutely go and present themselves one way and get on a board and completely wreck it from within. One of the things that we're dealing with in Utah is there's only 2% uh, African-Americans, less than 2% of people here are African-Americans. So what we have are these tokenized evil, evil women and some men who have what I call, and I'm not the one who coined this, um, but post-traumatic slave syndrome, which means that they believe they, they need to hold on to that oppression for things that they've never experienced because they've got internalized generational trauma. Okay. So they are the equity trainers. They are, they are all of these people, but they have the control because they, uh, this group specifically is called sisters in Zion. Zion is the Mormon culture. Okay. Or the LDS culture Mm -hmm. um, term for, you know, the heavenly paradise that is supposedly Utah. Sorry. To well, and, and I think that you, you told me something interesting in, in our conversation that 
you know, this faction is like promoting, not promoting it, but, but engaging in it, I guess, and are, um, you know, on walking that fine line, I guess, of how do you deal with this cancel culture and, you know, um, you know, kind of rectify that or align that or, or, well, the thing is is that, and what I say is that, uh, Utah is both bought and broken. So we just had, uh, two days ago, a discussion on getting DEI out of higher education. And I went to this meeting and it's a pretty profound picture because it's me in this bright pink shirt surrounded by a bunch of activists. And the room was full of snaps and, um, you know, anything, uh... just like anything, anytime they got what they wanted, they would snap. Anytime they didn't, they, it it was very activisty, but they all have like doctor behind their name, Mm -hmm. but it's ridiculous because I no longer have any respect for for a doctorate in education, because I wonder if it's an equity position, you know? Right. Um, so one person got up and she was a doctor and she literally said, she said, I am here before you in my like unprivileged, basically. Uh, that's obviously not the word she used. Um, but she said, I have light skin because I am the daughter of raped women by their white slave masters. And you go, can we can we think about this? I'm biracial, like I said, my son is second generation biracial. If he's walking around with a redheaded woman, people will think he's their daughter, he, he's their son. Mm-hmm. So to claim that your skin can't change in a generation. Right. It, there's no logic here, but these are the people. These are the people who are coming into our schools mm-hmm. and pushing and teaching SEL, diversity, I, equity, and inclusion. I call it die because yes. it's the death of our culture by resegregation. And I identify yes. this with this because of my own career and the distrust that has been, you know, kind of cultivated amid the pandemic with our medical profession. Um you know, and kind of watching those, you, you know, nursing the most trusted profession, you know, <sighs> yeah. Yeah. But when they say equity, health, equitable health care, it freaks me out. <laughs> it freaks I, everyone like, out. It freaks me out. I'm like, I'm like, what the heck does that mean? Because I know that in the past, Black people were given syphilis. <laughs> right. To so, right. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so I'm sitting there going, what does that mean? And people will say, because I suffer vertigo, and people will be like, oh, you need to go to this. And I'm like, I will go to Thank healthcare you. when I absolutely must. Right. And that is done by this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's Intermountain Healthcare. Intermountain Healthcare is part of Davos, is part of okay. the World Economic Forum. Oh, wow. Okay. And every time we go, you go there, they're like, we haven't changed. Our methods have. <laughs> I'm like, no. What does that mean? And, and, you know, here I am, um, you know, I started and I, my background's ICU ER and, um, you know, we're not taught these things. And, and I feel like, you you know, omitting in our education is just as egregious as, you know, this indoctrination. And I, I feel like both tactics have been, um, employed in, uh, both the healthcare field and the education field to kind of steer, you know, our culture to kind of where we are today. And it wasn't until, you know, I'm studying, um, I, I stepped away from the bedside after I had my third daughter and um, went back and got my bachelor's and I'm reading Bill Gates, um, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation mission, vision values for my bachelor's degree. And I'm like, this is crazy. Why am I reading, you know, this mission, vision values of, you know, this foundation with no medical, nothing. I mean, they don't have medical. I mean, he has doctors, of course, nurses and, and medical professions on, you know, his board and amid, you know, their, but you think they're not, I mean, don't you think that their income sways their opinion? 
Oh, of course. It's it's 100% bias, you know, just like you were, you were uh, mentioning the train derailment. We have, you know, the, the train company, uh, you know, doing these samples, air samples, soil samples, water samples, like, um, yeah, of course it's bias. Right. And I think that when people started to, you know, kind of figure that out, like who is, who is doing the testing? Who is, you know what I mean? Writing these tests for the kids? Who is, in what context are they giving them? And then I think people started to realize, I don't think these tests in our school systems are all that they're cracked up to be. Right. Well, and you have to understand that postmodernism means that the the truth lies in who has power. Yes. So at that point, and that's the whole, that's the whole everything, the whole liberation of theology, the whole queering of our children's minds. And I need to be clear that queering does not mean I'm anti-gay and lesbian. Queering means that we remove stabilization. We remove the idea that something can be factual out of our children's minds. And instead, it is simply you believe what you are told to believe. And if that changes, then you change with it. Um, and so when we, so postmodernism, which is what all these people believe in, postmodernism, progressivism, interchangeable, okay? Um, means there is no truth but power. And I love so, that you had posted recently, which brings me, the holy book could be white fragility and the communist manifesto, the churches are in our schools. And that is really how I feel about it. And, you know, our altar is kind of this American America is inherently racist. And because of that, all bad things are shrouded in whiteness. I was like, this is amazing. I don't know. Was it like an an anonymous thing? But I mean, just, yeah, there is no truth but power. And, you know, when, when they talk about speaking into power and, you know, the, the juxtaposition of race and power and how, you know, and I'm like, oh, for the love so what it was, was a, a person had posted um, like a giant intersectionality flag. That is the one that has Ukraine and all of the gender fluidity on it. And um, somebody else suggested, well, maybe then we should demand our flags. So we should put, you know, anything that you can think of. I would send my child to school with a Christian flag and say, fine, put it up in the room too. Because if, if all are included, then all are included. And somebody said, no, because that would be religious. And I said, wokeism is a religion. And mm-hmm. I said, no, it isn't. If it was, then who's our God? Who's our, you know, who's our prophet? Because we're in LDS country. Who's our, um, what's our doctrine, blah, blah, blah. And what I said was, your God is the state. So your prophet, Barack Obama. Mm-hmm. Your, um, your saint, St. George Floyd, mm-hmm. you know, um, yes, your, and then your penance as a white person is to never, ever be done with apologizing and groveling and mm-hmm. making things quote unquote, right for the virtuous, which and- the virtuous is everybody who fits into a group, which makes our, our children feel the need to fit into those groups, which is why we have boys wanting to be girls because mm-hmm. as cisgender boys they are the problems with everything in the world and listen it's happening in rural ohio it's happening in rural utah i mean i have experienced it with my own children i know that you've experienced it in your rural area with other children and you know yeah. so right children and and katie and i have talked about this the angst right and of of middle school and high school and all the changes that are happening and just to feel like <laughs> you don't belong but that you really don't belong now right. that you're the the reason that those people don't belong like wait what like i said it's manufactured mental health they're sending they're sending texts to our kids three times a week asking them to check in about their mental health they're giving younger kids candy if they stop by the yeah. office and tell them how they're feeling mentally. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, our kids are making jokes about suicide. Correct. Because it's I, been normalized. You know, and I had to put my foot down and and, and really, um, you know, uninvolve 
my school from my child's issues um, because I was like, you don't get to tell me as a parent what is going on. This is not my first rodeo with my child. So I know her better than you could ever stand here and tell me what I need for her. So no, thank you. And they were, uh, you know, mouths open aghast because, you know, I need you to sign this. I'm not signing that because I don't care. I don't need your, you know, I, I and I know that that sounds terrible. Like I'm not taking it seriously. I was taking it very seriously. And I, I sincerely asked that counselor, like, let's put a safety plan in place. Oh, I can't do that. I'm like, I'm confused. Then why would you not? I, I'm an RN. What are you? A licensed social worker. Great. Let's put a safety plan in place right now. If that is truly what you believe is happening right, right now. And they couldn't do it. She d- wouldn't do it. Not that she couldn't. She wouldn't. And so, you know, just to have that level of pressure on parents, like, listen, I'm 911. When when you come to the hospital, I am who you see, right? Right. A- as an ICU unit, as a, a, a person that's still in trauma. So I have no problem saying, like, oh. yeah, you don't get a say in what I do for my kiddo. Um, but I know that there are those parents that aren't as well versed right. and don't feel like they have a handle on it. And I'm not here to say, you know, shame on you. I'm here to tell you, and I know you're here to tell them, stand your ground. Do, your gut is going to tell you what to do for your kids. People really need to understand that school counselors are not what we used to think school counselors were. We used to think you'd see that school counselor because you, needed help and direction in where you were going to go after school, right? Or maybe you did need somebody that you were going to stop and talk to. That's not what's going on right now. Our school counselors, some of them are making pledges to, you know, the white fragility type stuff. And, but they're really taught. Um, I interviewed Leslie Elliott and she has the, she has the common ground podcast and she, and she's, they read specifically from the books that these people are being taught. And it says they are being taught to be advocates for activists. They are mm-hmm. taught to be change makers. Yeah. These agents of change. Mm-hmm. Agents of change. These are the goals of our therapists in our but I, I think it, it's talking, I mean, they're telling nurses, they're telling educators they're telling counselors they're you know what i mean it, it's yes. seeping and insidious it's, it's a cultural and revolution yes into everything and that's yes. what i said like i want to give people hope that you know this is uh, well at least in my state and i know in your state they're not done they 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 right. don't have it all figured out you know they're yeah. still kind of exacting the plan and i think through our activism and through our understanding of the systems and um you know the culture and climate and culture right, right. we can um we can exact change so i want to leave people with hope as we kind of come into um an hour here i love talking with you you're you're so knowledgeable and so um just genuine to talk to it's very very easy but i want to give people hope so i want to talk about what the kind of things that you are doing and the kind of things that you find hopeful as you're going forward sure um uh i learned all of this i i really wasn't like political in any way until i watched the the Asian people in 2020 say, if we lose America, we lose everything. We ran away from everything that's on our doorsteps. Okay. In learning from them, I I pivoted what I was doing. So what I was originally doing, um, and I guess maybe I should rewind to a slight bit of my back history. I grew up and aged out of the foster system. Um, I put myself in foster care when I was eight years old because my life was the poster Mm. for trauma, for trauma impacted. Okay. Um, So if I can rise out of that and not see myself as a victim, and I don't, I I'm comfortably in the middle-class married for 16 years, have a beautiful child, have a good life, you know? So if I cannot see myself as a victim, 
then there's absolutely hope that other people won't do the same. So what I try to do is listen to people. My, my podcast is about lifting the dissident voices and there are a lot of them right now. It is a lot of, it's heavily in the Asian community, but there are other people finding courage there. So here's the first thing we must do. We must educate ourselves. We must be the smartest people in the room, even if we're not. Even if we're just starting off as, you know, stay-at-home moms, i.e. me, you know, i.e. me, <laughs> we, we, we just, we need to know, we need to know, and we need to present ourselves with decorum. Even if the room is going crazy, we need to be the most polished, the most, and the most hopeful. We need to think of it not as we're out to get you and to crush you, even if inside that's how we feel, we need to present as helpful. And while we're presenting as helpful to those adults and doing whatever we can to be gracious, because there are people, there are people who have slandered me, who have, and then all of a sudden something happens and they go, you know, a year ago, I was fine with letting my freak flag fly. And then they came after kids Mm -hmm. and now I want to know. And you can't be like, yeah, I told you so. You mm-hmm. have to be like, welcome. Welcome aboard. Welcome. Thank you. For and, coming. and bring them on because it's, it takes, usually it takes crossing their own personal line before people are willing to get involved. With my child, with my red haired freckled boy, it was, you need to identify as your oppressed side and reject your oppressive. And I'm thinking, You want my seventh grader to stand up in a classroom and tell his best friends that they are wrong and he is right? No. So then that's part one. Sorry if I'm getting too long here. Part two is educate those kids. Educate those kids. What I'm doing right now is teaching. Well, I was teaching a black history class and now we're going to extend it. And when I, I'm not a person who loves Black History Month. I'm not a person, I, I think that history is history and teach it all. But if we don't, then when the teacher comes in and says, well, your parents are afraid because of their internalized racism to talk to you about race, mm-hmm. then we have a problem. But if they can say, actually, I know all about covert Michigan. I know that in the 1850s, white settlers and black freed slaves worked together and built a community where black people were the police and judges mm-hmm. and they were elected and they intermarried in 1850, a hundred mm-hmm. years before the civil rights movement. Mm-hmm. So. Right. Fuck it, teacher. And, <laughs> yeah. There have always been those right exceptions to the rule and, and those who broke cultural barriers. Yes. And the and other I, thing is they, they have to know about communism. Our yes. kids have to know about communism. They don't want that taught. Why? Why? Because every single thing that they're doing, do you know that Mao had an all-inclusive campaign? We're following completely in their book. Wow. So we have we have diversity, equity, inclusion. Mao had an all-inclusive campaign. Anytime that you include or you center around, it means you automatically exclude other people. Mm-hmm. So we have to have honest full conversations with their kids. It can't just be joy, 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 nothing bad ever happens. Mm -hmm. Because then when they hear something that is true, that was tragic and happened, they're going to go, oh, they're right. My parents sheltered me from that. But you also have to explain why the 1619 Project is garbage. You have to teach your kids that there are people that believe that they're victims. And then you have to show them pictures of the I don't know, maybe Cambodian, you can see it on, on a YouTube, but there's a guy who like builds, builds, he's, he, I don't know what he's building, but he's grabbing a bunch of sticks and moving them and he has no arms. Yeah. And you have to teach your kids to have perspective. Overcome, right. Well, perspective, because they want them seen through a lens that is just the lens that they tell you, oh, you are, you are a cisgendered white woman well, you're oppressed by the patriarchy. So make yourself as ugly as possible and embrace queer culture because so we knowledge, knowledge, knowledge is, is our hope. Mm-hmm. Knowledge Amen. is our hope. I believe that. Amen. 
I feel like I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I believe that there are still good teachers out there. I believe it gives me hope when you say, you know, there are those younger teachers that are, you know, finding and taking issue with that. Tell us where we can find your content. And I just want to thank you so much for coming and what a wonderful conversation. And we could probably talk for another hour, (laughs) but um, I want, I want our audience to find you and follow you and, um, you know, some of your great interviews and great content. Sure. Yeah. My, my YouTube channel is called be not afraid. Um, and I will be transferring to transferring it to podcast as well. It is long form interviews. So a lot of people are like, Oh, an hour, but in all honesty there, I talk to the people for two hours and I cut it down to the best content possible. And I, oh, it's great for a long drive or commute to back and (laughs) forth to work. Right. I mean, yeah. Yeah. And then the other thing is, is that I try to simplify D E I S E L, um, and do shorter. I've just started doing five minutes or less videos that are just kind of hit on one subject. Mm -hmm. So anything we can do to educate. Yes. Well, thank you. I, follow you. Katie and I follow you. You inspire us. And we love hearing from you and hearing your perspective on how this will go forward. And and thank you for being a Mo Mama and for being involved and engaged and keep us um, up to date on what's happening in Utah in uh, legislation for sure. I know lots of legislation is playing out here in Ohio as well. Thanks for joining us today, Carrie. We appreciate you. Oh, thank you for having me. Thanks for the good fight. <laughs> keep keep right. on, keep on keeping on. Right. Stay, focused. Stay <laughs> focused, Ohio. Thank you for joining us on Mean Street News today. If you would like to support our work, please go to www.meanstreetoh.com to donate. Your generous contribution will help fund our mission. Be sure to tune in next time on Mean Street News, where we mean what we say, and we say what we mean. Stay focused, Ohio.